Yesterday, Kate and I went up uh, to Heidi in Ella's uh, place to, uh, she requested that, uh, she called for the elders of different churches to go and anoint her with oil. The doctors told her she has six months to a year to live, and uh, she requested that we would go up and pray for her. And we laid hands and prayed for her, and uh, she was... Afterwards, she was talking about uh, how that she was torn, and it sounded like what the Apostle Paul was saying. He said, I'm torn between two things. You know, for me, it's far better to go to be with the Lord, but for you, it's better that I should remain. And I'm convinced that God will keep me here for your progress and for your help to minister to you. And that was kind of what Heidi was torn with too because she said she started thinking well maybe you know i'm gonna go be with the lord you know like we're singing this song this morning i'm bound for the promised land we are in christ we have an end to this This isn't good we're not going to continue here forever we're here a short time and then we're leaving here and that's what that song is talking about being bound for the promised land a lot of people don't believe it maybe some even here don't believe it today but it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not it's true if I, if I don't believe that the earth is round, it doesn't mean the earth isn't round. The facts are the facts, whether you believe them or not. The truth is the truth. And so, today, we think about what, what Heidi was contemplating. You know, she could go be with the Lord, but her children need her. She has young children and everything. And, you know, she's praying on one hand to be here for her children, but on the other hand, she feels, well, you know, I could be before the Lord soon and everything. And so the excitement of that, but the need to stay here and everything. And I guess that's, especially when you get older, that's how all of us to be, who are in Christ begin to feel like, you know, what do we have here? You know, our, our, we are, have no continuing place here. We're pilgrims and strangers in the earth. And we, are, have, we have no continuing city here. We're passing through here as foreigners. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's where our focus should be. This morning, we begin in looking in Genesis chapter 18. And Genesis is the first book of the Bible. But something that we read here today that took place thousands of years ago speaks to the year 2020. March 8, 2020. And days ahead of us. It was Genesis chapter what? Chapter 18. Okay. Beginning in verse 20. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Move down to uh, chapter 19 and verse 1. And now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. 
And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. And then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not do so wickedly. So we see in the city all these corrupt men. And we see one man who has a different viewpoint, a different way of life, Lot. He sees these two men and he doesn't try to molest them as the rest of the men of the city want to do. He's very kind to them. He says, come to my house. And he makes a feast for them. He says, and tomorrow you can go your way. He, he entertains strangers and didn't know he was entertaining angels without knowing it, just like it says in the book of Hebrews. And the kindness that he showed to these two men. And the two men were like, oh, we don't want to impose on you. We'll just stay out in the, in the city square here tonight. But Lot insisted strongly. He knew what that city was like. And so he said, no, you come into my house. And they went with him. And they ate with them and everything. And then this whole thing begins, this whole crisis develops where these, all the men of the city come to the house and they want to molest the two men. They were no, this city was known for its homosexuality, for its sexual perversion. So how does that all speak to today? Well, you can certainly easily connect the dots. Let's continue on in the story. In verse 9, and they said, the people of the city said, stand back. And they said, this one came to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge, speaking about Lot. And he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness both small and great, so they became weary trying to find the door. So these two angels struck the people, the men of the city, with blindness who were coming to do these evil things to them. Verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, son, your daughters, whoever you have in this city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, son-in-laws, who had married his daughters and said, Get up and get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his son-in-laws, he seemed to be joking. They're laughing. You know, to this day, at this time, People mock when we tell them Jesus Christ will return. 
<clears throat> Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2 that the time will come when people will say, where is the promise of Jesus' coming? Because things are going on like they were since the beginning of creation. And Peter says they're choosing ignorance, not taking into account that God already destroyed the world once with water, and he will do it a second time with fire, just like he is going to, just like he did here to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah is a testimony to what will happen to all who live the way they did in Sodom and Gomorrah. To every generation, every generation since Sodom and Gomorrah is a testimony of, of God's judgment to those who live ungodly like this, in this unclean way, and choose to live this immoral lifestyle, to live in fornication and adultery. God will judge them. And so the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire, we read in 2 Peter and in the book of Jude, is a testimony of what God is going to do to those who live immorally after that, those who live perverted after that. It's a witness to our time, to our generation, to March 8, 2020. They thought he was joking. It says mockers will come saying, where is the promise of his coming? In the last times. That's what's happening today. People are mocking. If you tell them that th there's signs of the times are here and that Jesus return is returning and everything else, they're going to laugh. They're going to laugh like Lot's son-in-laws. But shortly thereafter, Lot's son-in-laws were not laughing because fire and brimstone was, were coming down upon them, and they were destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah. Judgment came upon them because they didn't take seriously the warning of God. Verse 15, And when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry and say, Arise, take your wife and your daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hand of his, his two daughters, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Why were they dragging their heels about? I don't know for sure. We can kind of speculate. But they brought him outside and set him outside the city. Verse 17, So it came to pass... When they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. So the warning was there. Don't stay in the plain, and don't look behind you. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy when you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now this city is near enough to flee to, and is a little one. Please let me escape there. Isn't it a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have found favored you concerning this thing also, 
and that I will not overthrow this city which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. God was going to destroy this little city too. All the cities of the plain were going to be destroyed with all the towns that are around Sodom and Gomorrah. But God showed mercy to Lot even in this, and he didn't destroy this one city. Lot wanted a plan B. God said, go to the mountains. And he says, oh no, Lord. If I go there, he says, some evil will happen to me. It's dangerous in the mountains. Let me go into this little city over here. I don't want to go live in the wilderness up in the mountains. Some evil thing will happen to me there. You know, sometimes when God tells us to do something, we get afraid of what He tells us to do. Like He's like God is setting us up for failure. He's setting a trap for us. Oh Lord, not that. And we seek for a plan B. So Lot asked for plan B. So God said, okay. Go to plan B. Go to Zoar. He says, and hurry up and go there. He says, I can't do anything until you get out of here. Because God's mercy. His judgment was not going to come down till righteous Lot, who's referred to in the New Testament as righteous Lot, whose soul was tormented every day by the evil he saw in Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, righteous Lot, you take your family and you get out. You can't, I can't do anything. I can't bring judgment until you leave this, this area. And so finally he went to Zoar, and then judgment came down. It says in verse 24, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all, all the plain and all the inhabitants of those cities and what grew on the, gr the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. So maybe she was curious, you know, why why was God bring such a harsh judgment against against her? She was warned of the judgment. She looked back anyway, and God brought judgment against her too. We'll we'll think more about that in a few minutes. We'll just remember what happened to Lot's wife. Verse 29. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. And then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains and his two daughters were with him. For he was afraid to dwell in Zoar and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. So God was right after all, right? Plan B didn't work. He went to that city that God was going to destroy. You heard the angel say, you know, I, I won't destroy. He says, I have favored you concerning this thing and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. The city that Lot was going to, that city was going to be destroyed too. But for the sake of Lot and to show mercy to Lot, he didn't destroy it. But Lot went there and he didn't like what he saw there. It doesn't say, but it was wicked enough that he was going to overthrow, God was going to destroy that city too. And so what did he do? He left that city and he went where the angels told him to go to begin with. And surprise, God was right. God knew what he was talking about. 
Plan B doesn't work. And there's a clear example of it. Oh, is that yours? Hmm. So from there, we'll go to Luke 17. Verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, drank, married wives, were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Business as usual. People today, they're blinded with all our wis the wisdom and technology of our society and all the toys of our society and all the instruments and, and weapons of our society and our world and our civilization. This seems like, a, this what Jesus said, seems like a joke to them. It seems like a fairy tale, a legend. They will mock. Where is this promise of coming? That they will think it's ridiculous. Maybe someone here may even think it's ridiculous. It doesn't matter. It will happen. Business as usual. In the wicked time of Noah, where it says that violence filled the earth. I heard recently that Philadelphia is the third worst city in our country when it comes to murder. There's a lot of murders going on right in the city near us, big city near us. Parts of this city, the city are war zone type areas. North Philadelphia, Kensington, where Ivan lives, different places. But it's not alone. There's all over the country. It's all over the world. Violence is breaking out all over the world. Shootings in schools, <coughs> churches, <laughs> corporations, post offices, you name it. Just happen randomly. Crazed people. People demonically controlled. The time of Noah was a time where it says that the earth was full of violence to the point where God regretted making man, it says. And it says, in verse 28, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus is connecting the dots between two stories. 
The story which happened that we just read, a story that hasn't happened yet, but he's, he's prophesying will happen. The day of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and the days before his coming. And you look at our civilization today and you see it happening. You see homosexuality completely coming out of the closet. We see all kinds of perversions coming out of the closet. All kinds of evil things. Abuse of children and those that are weak. You see it happening like the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. But it wouldn't just be a couple cities it would be the world that will become like Sodom and Gomorrah, like the days of Noah. The, the civilization that Jesus will return to will be like that. And that's how we connect, that's how Jesus was connecting the dots between that time and today. This is what we see in our world today, it is a time like Sodom and Gomorrah. You, can, you can't even watch the news on, on TV without having a commercial and see scantily dressed men and women on the TV. You don't, you don't turn the TV on to watch that, but they'll put it in front of you anyway. You can't go walk, walk, take a walk in the neighborhood without seeing somebody, you know, immorally dressed, go to the store, Go to, go to school, go to work, wherever you go, the immorality is all around us. And, unfortunately, it's in the church, too. It's in Christendom. It's all over in Christendom. And not just amongst, it's amongst the leaders, too. So we're calling, Jesus is calling out a time. And he said it would be a time where it would be business as usual. Eating, drinking, marrying, like normal life. And all of a sudden, bam, it happens. Judgment will come. Judgment will come. And so Jesus gives many warnings about being ready. Because look what happens. In that day, he whose goods are in the housetop, is on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one taken, the other will be left. Two women grinding in the mill, the one taken, the other left. Two women, men in the field, the one taken, the other left. A disappearance will happen. Some will say, well, that's ridiculous. They underestimate the power and authority of God's word and the power and authority of what he will do. There are people who don't believe this are underestimating the, the power that God has and that he will do exactly what he said he will do. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to leave people behind for judgment and he will take others away. 
just like he took Lot away and his family. You hear the words of the angel, I can't do anything until you leave. That's right. Judgment will not come until those who are in Christ will be taken away. As Jesus said, it'll be just like that. The day that Noah entered safety in the ark, judgment came. The day Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah with his wife and his children, judgment came. And then he puts in there, remember Lot's wife. You know, if Jesus comes and you're out in the field, don't go back in to get your stuff. Don't get, go back in to get your big screen TV or your, uh, you know, your favorite clothes or, you know, to get any, you know, anything or anybody else. You just go. Because judgment will come upon you. But, you say, well, we're going to turn into a, a, a statue like, like Lot's wife? Probably not. But there's a deeper message here. And the message is, what caused Lot's wife to look back? Why did she look back? Why were they dragging their feet getting out of Sodom? Why didn't they get out of Sodom before the angels? They saw this wickedness around them. Why did they stay there? There was something about Sodom that was attractive to them that kept them there. Even in the midst, it says that Lot's soul was troubled every day with the wicked wickedness around him. Why did he leave? He was a stranger. He came and moved in there. Why didn't he leave and get out of there before that? They were caught up in the prosperity and the, the luxury or whatever in Sodom was going on in Sodom. They're willing to look the other way. They're caught up in the world. Lot's wife was caught up in the world. Remember, Lot's wife is Jesus' words. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the judgment of mystery Babylon. And there is a message that God sends to the people of God. Come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her plagues and of her judgments. God is going to bring judgment. And judgment, it says in Second Peter, will begin at the house of God. Come out of her, my people. Get out of the world. Get out of the way of the world. Don't love the world or the things of the world. Get out of all of that. Don't love money. Don't love the things of this world. Don't, don't be... Wrapped up in the things of this life. Set your heart and your mind on heavenly things. Not on the things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. If you try to save your life, Jesus said you'll lose it. But if you lay down your life, if you lose your life in this world, you will preserve it. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow after Christ. Not go in the way of the world. Not to be worldly and fleshly and carnal. Not to be unloving and unforgiving. To turn the other cheek to those who do wrong to us. Follow Jesus and his teaching.
chapter 18, verse 1 says, And he spoke a parable to them, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? <clears throat> Are people still going to trust Jesus when he comes? Is there going to be people still trusting him? And that's our challenge. To live for Jesus even in the midst of wicked times. Like they did in the early church. In the church of Rome. In the Corinthian church. In the Ephesus church. Churches that were pagan churches. Churches that were Sodom and Gomorrah. In, in, a, in a city, cities of, of Sodom and Gomorrah like civil, uh, societies. They live that way. We can live godly too. Even in our time. Even in the time of wickedness like today. In 1 John chapter 5. On Wednesday we were studying this. First John five fourteen. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, not to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not to death. There is sin to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not to death. In this passage, as we were studying on Wednesday night, it talks about if we ask anything according to His will, God hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of Him. What does that have to do with what we've been talking about? About God's judgment coming in lot, and two men being in a, in, a, in a hill, one taken, one left behind. It has everything to do with it. Because there will be people left behind. And if Jesus comes today, there will be people that we know that are involved in our lives. Maybe children, parents, spouse. They're not walking right. They're not living right. They're backslidden. Or they haven't been saved yet. And we don't want them to be one of those ones left behind. That, I think we can all agree with that. We don't want them to be left behind. And so, he says here that if we ask anything according to God's will, that we know he hears us. We know that it's not God's will that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. 
So we pray for people that are in our lives. We believe, we pray, we know God's not willing to destroy any. We know that most of the world is going to have, have judgment upon them. But Jesus told us to fish in the pond. The fishermen to be fishers of men. So we pray for those that God has put in our life. We know it's not his will that they should be left behind. That they should be destroyed. That we, they should have judgment. And you see that Lot's son-in-laws didn't take him serious. They had an opportunity to escape too. They didn't. But his daughters did escape with him. His wife did But my point here is that right after he talks about, he says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him. Right after that, he says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, not unto death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not to death. This is a message to the church concerning concerning our our backslidden brothers and sisters. Those who have wandered from the truth we read last week in the book of James, chapter 5. Brothers, if if any among you wanders from the truth, we bring them back. We'll save them from death, their soul from death, and cover a multitude of sins. And here we read something very similar. And it shows you the power that God has given to us. He's put it on our lap. Listen again. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin not to death, he will ask and God will give him life for those who commit a sin not leading to death. We see our brother, a backslidden brother, Who's gone, fallen back into the world? We see them sinning. And if we ask, God will give them life for those committing sin, not to death. But what is, we talked about what is a sin leading to death? And there's a lot of speculation what that is. We've kind of come up with a couple of ideas, but. One, of course, is the, is the prominent one in Christendom is that it's uh, what Jesus talked about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Uh, he talked about uh, the sin that uh, would not be forgiven, not in this life or in the life to come, if they blaspheme not the Father or the Son, but if they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So that's one idea, that a prominent idea in Christendom, but there may be others. But that aside... Basically, what it's saying is if we see a brother or sister who's backslidden, sinning, that we can pray for them, and God will give them life. God's given that to, that to us to do. That's put on our lap. He's given us the, the, the power to pray for someone, and then God will open their hearts and save them. He will ask, and God will give him life. Those who have fallen into sin. This is a very important ministry of the church that maybe gets overlooked. 
recently, a brethren that we knew, uh, someone who we knew, was referring to a backslidden brother. I said, well, maybe they're just not one of the, the elect. Maybe they're just not one of the ones that will be the saved. God forbid that we should see a fallen brother backslidden and we should just write him off. I hate to admit it, but I've heard this statement too many times in people's attitude towards backslidden Christians, people who are following the Lord who have fallen away. I hear this attitude, but it's not a biblical attitude. It's not. If we see a brother or sister backslidden, as it says here, we can pray and God will give them life. Because of our prayer. I'm not making this up. We just read it out of God's Word. This is not Ron's interpretation. You just heard the words for yourself. Read it for yourself. Meditate on it and pray about it. That's exactly what it's saying. God has given that to us. Yeah, he has. The ministry of the church. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus didn't say that to Peter. There's a passage where he says it to all his disciples. What was Jesus talking about? He was talking about someone who sinned against him them and want to repent. Backslidden brother. So, the restoration of the backslidden brother. Yes, there's discipline, things and things that have to go on, but, if necessary, but, there's also this ministry of prayer that God has given to all those who are in Christ to pray for those who have faded away have slipped away, have fallen away, have backslidden. It is an important ministry of the church in our times. Because judgment is coming. And it's a very what, it's one of the most important things that we can do is to pray for each other and to praise for those who have backslidden, have fallen away from the Lord, to come back. the Apostle Paul said in 2 Thessalonians that the day of Christ will not come except first there be a great falling away or apostasy. That means that before Jesus returns that there must be great corruption within Christendom. And that's why we see all the false teachings. That's why we hear all the nonsense that we hear when we turn Christian radio and TV on and you hear all the, them reading out of the Bible and mixed in with the things that they're reading. They're, they're throwing in false teachings and, and, and false prophets and prophesying falsely and, and all this nonsense that we're hearing. You turn on Christian radio and, and the things that they're saying and, you know, it's horrible. It's a sign of the times. It's what Paul was talking about. Great corruption and false teaching right within the church. And God is going to judge it. And he's saying, get out of her, my people. Get out of that false teaching. Get out of that corrupt 
Christendom, that corrupt Christendom lifestyle, get out of it. That you may not receive of the plagues and judgments that are coming to Christendom and the rest of the world. It's coming. So, this is a call of us to sobriety. Soon one will be taken, one left behind. We don't know when. Maybe this week, this month, this year might be tonight. Tomorrow. We don't know. Jesus said to be ready. And to pray for others to get ready. Not to be like the foolish virgins who are unprepared. But to be like those who are the wise virgins who are prepared for the Master's coming. Prepare ourselves. Pray for others that they may turn back and be prepared. God wants them to come back. He's waiting for them to come back. He rejoices over the sinner who repents. He rejoices over the lost son who comes back. Let's pray for them. Any brothers, there's a comment on that or anything else they want to share, please do.